Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast, with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. I'm from central North Dakota, Minot, North Dakota. Yes, uh, that we say where I'm from, why not, my not? And then you respond, Friesen's the reason. <laughs> and that's like the slogan of the town. <laughs> so I'm the son of a, uh, a dude from Southern California whose parents are from Colombia and Puerto Rico. So I, I got my Latino, my, my Hispanic brothers and sisters in here. Greetings. My dad didn't teach me our language because he was working in the missile field like all day while I was a child. And uh, so I'm sad about that, but greetings. And uh, my mother is from central, central North Dakota, Garrison, North Dakota, grew up on an Arabian horse farm. Um, how many of you seen the movie Black Stallion? Uh, that is my grandma's horse. She bred that horse, and they used it on the uh, on the movie there. So, pretty fun, pretty fun childhood. Uh, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a charismatic, independent, charismatic church. So I was telling the youth group students earlier, it's probably a shock to them. But uh, how many of you have this experience? I had flags. We had flags in our church. We had individual tambourines. Um, we had, <laughs> yes, we had prophetic women dancers dressed in all white up front, and worship would go for like an hour. <laughs> and that's the background where I learned to love Jesus. Um, I learned to love him early on as a child, and I loved him in my own special, unique way. My mom tells me, and I remember bits and pieces of it as a child. But as I grew a little bit older, um, really, I just wanted people to like me. And I wanted my friends, after I was done getting homeschooled, I wanted my friends back. And so I, I, just, I went on this uh, slow descent into sin. And uh, I, I would say the descent reached its climax, not climax, I don't know. The descent reached its lowest point when I got to college at the University of North Dakota in 2013. And... Um, I called my mom and I told her, hey, mom, Jesus hasn't done too much for me up to this point. And I'm going to live life without Jesus. I just wanted you to know. Because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I couldn't stand it on the inside. And so I did just that. And the Lord, three and a half years later, rescued me out of a life of drug dealing and doing whatever my sin led me into. And uh, he reconciled me to his son, Jesus. And I'm just burdened by the cross today. Early on after I got saved, I was reading the book of Philippians. And Paul writes to the Philippian church. And he says, he lists, I'm going to walk through it today. That's the text we're going to get into shortly. Um, but he ends this, this talk with them, and he says, Nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider it all rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. He is the greatest treasure in all of heaven and all of earth. And he taught me that early, that the greatest gift he's ever given me or us is himself. It's the cross. It's the empty grave. It's that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is Lord of all, as we were singing today. And not only that, he's given us his spirit. The same spirit that rose him from the grave. And... If there could be more, he's coming back for us. He hasn't left us here to die and suffer for nothing. But that he's coming back and he will make all things new. This is the gospel that has the power to save a lowly sinner like me. (laughs) And like you. This is the gospel. It is still 2,000 years later, the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. Amen? We don't need more frills and tips and tricks. We need more gospel. Not only to make the sinner saved, but to make the saved more like Jesus. Because we were saved from the wrath of God and the penalty of our sin. But we are being saved from ourselves currently. Romans 7, Paul talks about how he wars with himself. That he does the things that he doesn't want to do. And he doesn't do the things that he so desperately would love to do. Wretched man that he is, there is a war, and God, the gospel, the cross, the spirit at work is saving me from myself and the sin that dwells in me unto the end goal of looking just like Jesus. And one of the primary ways that he does that, the universal call to all believers not to special Christians, and it's not a spiritual gift, is discipleship. Paul gives these lists of spiritual gifts that God has given to the church to make us more mature and look more like him, and discipleship is not mentioned in one of those lists because you don't need to be gifted to make a disciple. You don't need to be special to make a disciple But God will use your gifts to use you to make disciples. Does that make sense? In Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Every single person in this room, that is our destiny. That's what God has prepared in advance for us to do, to make disciples. And if we make disciples, he will build his church. I'm a product of discipleship. 
when I got saved, I was fortunate enough to have a community of believers who looked like me, kind of. Some looked a lot different. We're in the same season of life, all different walks, but we're college students and had been impacted by the glorious gospel of Jesus. And there was a pastor who, after I got saved, sat me down and looked at me across a table at a coffee shop in a bakery and said, Josiah, I want to disciple you. And I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, well, I'm just going to sit down with you every week and we're going to open the Bible together and see what Jesus is saying to you. And I'll teach you how to be a man of God. <laughs> and in that ministry, I met my wife. You can throw that family picture up there. In that Chi Alpha ministry at the University of North Dakota, I met my wife, Kenzie. You can give it up for her. There we go. And um, we did married people things, and we had two kids. <laughs> I heard a pastor say one time, I want to address it real quick. Uh, there are countless opportunities in the day and age that we live in to indulge ourselves in explicit sexual material. In movies, media, internet, everything. But sex, godly sex, belongs to the covenant of marriage. It belongs to God. And we can talk about it in church because it's worship. <laughs> it's worship. It's doing what God made you to do when you're married and you do married people things. And we can get hyped about it in church. Because we are redeeming the true purpose of sex and relationships as the body of Christ. Amen? So we did married people things. We have my daughter named Sayla Wonder. She's five years old. And she's kind of like her dad, so we fight so much. <laughs> but she makes me more like Jesus. And hopefully, one day, she will submit herself to him as well. And maybe to me. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and then my son's name is Moses Samuel, and he is two, and he's kind of like his mom. And so he's tender, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he's so forgiving. My mom said, uh, my daughter is going to have to learn. Their relationship is hilarious. She said, my daughter, Selah, is going to have to learn how to say sorry, and Moses is going to have to learn how to say I forgive you a lot. <laughs> That's like their relationship. <laughs> How many parents in the room know what I'm talking about right now? <laughs> so that's my family. And you can throw that next picture up there. We went to our first Husker game. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. I'm diving in. <laughs> we, had, we just had hockey in North Dakota. Like we sent over 100 players to the NHL for my university. And so that was like the thing. So it's, it is no big deal for me to switch my allegiances to the Huskers. <laughs> it is no big deal whatsoever. So we're all in. My daughter, she, she asks Alexa. She says, Alexa, every week, Alexa, when do the Huskers play next? <laughs> She's so excited about all of it. Um, we were at the University of North Dakota for seven years doing Chi Alpha. 
And we felt called to come to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln because there hasn't been a full-time Chi Alpha campus missionary active on campus since 1997. I'm two years old at that point. <laughs> 1997, Chi Alpha as a movement, the Assemblies of God, we have been okay with 24,000 undergraduate student, students over a period of nearly 30 years going without the gospel. And uh, my wife and I, during a really hard time in our life, looked at each other and we'll say, not so anymore. Far as we have to say about it. And so we love college students. We love Chi Alpha. I love Jesus. And we just want to bring as many into the kingdom as possible. Because what I realized after I got saved is that the people around me, my peers and college students up until today, and they will forever, without Jesus, they're always trying to fulfill eternal longings with temporal, worthless things. And it destroys them. Because the end of sin is death. It's like gravity. That's how God made the world. And it doesn't matter how far you push back against gravity, if you jump off... <laughs> A tall place, gravity will pull you down to the ground. And if you jump into sin, your sin will kill you if you don't kill it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your sin will kill you if you do not kill it. And that's why I'm, I said I'm burdened by the cross today. Because I think it's all too easy to move on. Right? It's too easy. It's way too easy that the cross would have its effectiveness at the moment of our salvation and then we don't revisit it for 20 years. Let's go to Philippians 3. We'll be in Philippians and then we'll jump over to Luke 14 after this and then Probably wrap us up. Philippians 3, verses 2 through 11. I'm reading in the ESV. So if you have your sword or your phone, lift it up. Here we go. Y'all ready for it? Philippians 3, verses 2 through 11. Paul says to the Philippian church, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Pause. The Philippians were being influenced by people who were trying to put their confidence in anything other than the cross. In external religious activity to make them more holy. That's what they were being influenced by. Instead of putting your faith and your trust in the sufficient work of the cross. And the outflow of the work of the cross, which is the power of the spirit. You see what I'm saying? And I think 
to reference what I said before we started reading, it's all too easy to start putting our hope and our faith in our religious activity to look righteous on the outside instead of having the humble heart of Jesus saying, I can do nothing on my own, John 15. But I am still as much as I was before Christ, in desperate need of the cross. Verse 4. Paul gives us why he would have reason to be confident in anything but. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is like the best LinkedIn profile to the Jews ever. (laughs) It's like you put your professional development, all the reasons why somebody should hire you. And uh, I just, I just wonder if we're sometimes the same as Paul, even after Christ saves us. You know, I have confidence that I'm going to heaven because my last name is this, or I work really, really hard, or I have this much money in my bank account, or my kids obey when I tell them to obey. I'm doing really well in work, man. They have given me a raise every semester since I've started working for the company. And everyone respects me because I do the right things. And I'm really, really good. And Paul in Galatians, he says, careful that what you start in the spirit, you don't complete in the flesh. God is the one who is faithful to finish what he started in you until he comes back. You are not. (laughs) It's you surrendered. It's you completely abandoned to your ability, to your know-how, to your smarts, to your name, to your accomplishments. It's you completely surrendered to the cross that will make you burn until the end. How many of you know the scripture says that in the last days, The hearts and the love of many will grow cold. The only hope for burning until the end is no confidence in the flesh, all confidence in the cross. Every bit of confidence I have is in the finished work of the cross. And I am a good person to talk about this because I suck at doing it. It's honest. I fail so much. I feel like a monster some days with my kids. It breaks my heart that there's still that sin in me. That I could treat somebody I love so much, so badly, just because they don't listen to me three times in a row. That I could get so angry and frustrated. That I could be so dismissive with my wife and how she's feeling 
that I could be so numb to the pain that's happening all around the world. How many of you resonate with me? You don't have to raise your hand, but we have this war inside of us. I don't want to act that way. And it's when I think that my good behavior makes my right standing with Christ sure that I fail. It's when I look at the cross and I say, Lord, I had nothing to bring you when you saved me. And I still have nothing of worth to bring you that would keep me. Only you. I only have you. You are all that is good in me. That is when I can be confident. And Paul says this in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything, all my good stuff, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Listen to this, verse 10. This is the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. I want to submit to you today that no matter how long you've been following Jesus, this is the righteousness of God that depends on faith. In fact, Jesus says this is eternal life, to know him. And if Jesus is eternal and infinite, you still have more to know about him. You still have more to experience in him in the riches of his glorious inheritance. And this is our goal as Christians, to know him. And that will produce the righteousness of God in you that depends on your faith in him. Do you hear me? To know him. The second thing, to know the power of his resurrection, <laughs> to depend on the cross, to depend on the spirit. Ephesians, it says, I pray that you would know the immeasurable power at work within you that rose Christ Jesus from the grave, that seated him above all rule and power and authority, above every name, that is named. This is the power that is in you. And I'll submit to you again that <laughs> you still have more Holy Spirit 
to experience and surrender to than you think. His power is more real than you might even believe right now. To set you free from your sin. To set you free from yourself. To treat your spouse in the way that they deserve to be treated. To treat your children with patience and kindness. So that you don't exasperate your children and offend the word of God. This is the power that Jesus left us with. The power of his spirit. It's both miraculous and simple at the same time. It's day by day dying to my flesh and letting the spirit live through me. Are you following with me? This is the righteousness of God that depends on faith. To know him and the power of his resurrection. And then this is the goal for Paul. And this is the snag for us. And that I may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It was Paul's goal that he would share in the sufferings of Christ. That's the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That's what a life surrendered to the power of the cross and the spirit bears. (laughs) I remember early on in my marriage, I'll close with this story. And the worship team can come up. I remember early on in my marriage, um, you know, you stand married people in here at your wedding day and you make those vows. And uh, you mean them deeply in your heart. And often they're vows that we won't fulfill except by the help of God, right? Right? And I remember I meant it. You know, Lord, I'll, I'll serve my wife. I'll be humble. I'll love Jesus more than her so as to love her exactly how you want me to love her. And um, we were going through a particularly tough period in our marriage two years in where it just felt like we were fighting every single day. You know, we couldn't get along and agree about anything, really. And I was praying on campus at UND, and I was just, you know, reflecting with God, talking with God, praying and saying, Lord, this is really hard, but I thank you that I'm sharing in your sufferings. And the Lord spoke to me very quickly. And he says, Josiah, you're not suffering because you're doing good. You're suffering because you're being prideful and stupid. That's exactly what he said to me. He might say it to you differently because he speaks our language. (laughs) 
But he said, Josiah, you're suffering because you're being prideful and stupid. And I remember the Lord broke me because I thought I was suffering for doing right and I was suffering for doing wrong, which is the discipline of God to make me more like him. But to share in Christ's sufferings is to suffer for doing right. When people spit at you like they spat at him and they mock you and no one agrees with you and you go against the current of the world and when they defile you and reject you and when you preach the gospel and they deny you and when you give your whole heart to the purposes of God and it doesn't work out how you expected it to work out, that is sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Depending on the cross and the spirit for its sufficiency and not your effort. And so I had to go to my wife and repent to her and say, babe, I'm sorry. We've been suffering because of my pride. And I want to commit to you this one thing that I want to say sorry first. That I want to humble myself and be like Jesus in our marriage. And I've done my best to do that. I don't do it all the time. But when I fail, I know that it's my flesh. And when I succeed, I know it's Jesus. Not me. And so I just want to challenge you here this morning um, to do those three things. To know God is to have the righteousness of God that depends on faith. To know the power of his resurrection and make every effort to share in his sufferings so that you might burn until the end and somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. I'll pray. And close us in. You know, I said a lot of things, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who will speak to you. So I'm just going to not pray for about 30 seconds and be quiet to let him speak. And then I'll end us in prayer and hand it over to the worship team. So Lord, speak to us now. God, highlight what we need to do. So often we ask for somebody to give us what to do. But right now, Lord, we ask that you would tell us what to do with this word, with your scripture. Speak to us now, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. God, and I pray that you would fill us with that same joy that filled you as you set your eyes to the cross. 
And for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And I pray, Holy Spirit, by your divine power, that you would fill us with your joy. That for the joy set before us, we would pick up our cross and live a life of righteousness that depends on God and faith in his Son. That as we abide, we would bear fruit, Lord Jesus. That when we fail, it's the flesh, and when we succeed, it's Jesus. And it's all for your glory. Until you make us just like you on that glorious day, when you return, Lord, and in a moment... We will look at you in the eyes and we will know fully even we, as we are fully known. This is the hope that fuels our joy to suffer for you, Lord Jesus, to suffer for right. In our families and in our jobs and in our relationships and in preaching the gospel and in making disciples, Lord, if we have our eyes set on picking up our cross, and you fill us with your joy and your hope, Lord. I believe you'll help us to bear fruit in every season. We trust you now with your deposit and trust that you're the one who will complete the work, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name, amen.